we're talking about work today. Anybody have a job out there? Praise Jesus. Good. Anybody going to school out there? That's your job. Good. Awesome. Anybody working at home, keeping your family all together safe and fed, laundered, everything like that? Awesome. Good. Good, good, good. So, hey, we're in the midst of this series looking at the life of Daniel and his friends, talking about work. Uh, how do we make work worship? Our theme verse for this is Colossians 3. It says this. Well, let's say it together. How about that? Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Now, I won't make you raise your hand for this, but like, because your boss might be here, who knows, right? But like, if, you're, if you hate your job, if it's terrible, if you're really on the struggle bus right now, I would encourage you to memorize this verse and just, just say that to yourself and just internalize that. Maybe your situation's going to change. Maybe you're going to get a different kind of job later. That's great. That's awesome. But maybe, maybe you're going to be there for a while. Uh, it would be a lot better to have a good attitude than to not. So uh, do that. Uh, maybe you've got a job that you like. Still memorize this verse. This is a great verse to memorize because I think that it helps us to hold in perspective uh, what it is that uh, we're doing. And today I want to talk a little bit about our attitude about work uh, and how we approach our work. Um, and really I want to talk about pride. Um, now, if I were to ask you, uh, you know, are you good at your job? Chances are you would say, yeah, I'm really good uh, at my job. Here's what scientists have found, social scientists. Um, I think I can't remember where this one was done, but in a study, 42% of employees at a, a software engineering company, 42% of the employees assessed their skill set and their productivity as being in the top 5% of the entire uh, team. So do the math with me. Um, about 37% of those people were wrong, okay? Assuming that the top 5% even put themselves there. I mean, they could have all been wrong if you think about it. Uh, there's something inside of us that we think, man, we're really, really good at this. I've mentioned this before, but it's called the uh, Dunning-Kruger effect. In 1999, Cornell University psychologists, uh, with the last names of Dunning and Kruger, uh, came up with this idea where they were uh, testing participants uh, with how competent they were versus how confident they were. And here's what they found. They found that uh, for the people in the 12th percentile, self-rated their expertise to be on the 62nd percentile. Here, let, let me draw this for you. I think this helps a little bit. So um, here we go. So you've got, you know, you've got, your, you've got your line here. This is your level of competence. I got the shaky, I'll do the short straw for the stand today. This is your level of confidence, okay? And so you, person, are like right here. There you go. Okay. All right. That's, that's, I, that didn't, like, art. That's not my thing. So here's kind of how this works. It's sort of like a reverse bell curve. Uh, the less competent you are, the more likely you are to feel confident. And then you move your way up. So... Uh, this kind of looks like fire. It's not kind of the mode I'm going for, but I've already committed to red. Um, so here, track with me. So if you don't have a lot of competence, this is the low competence side. 
you're likely to have a high confidence level. If you're average, you kind of go, yeah, I'm so-so. I'm not great. I'm not bad. They're probably not going to fire me tomorrow. If layoffs got real tough, I'd probably be in there. But you know what? Just right in the middle. Keep my head down. Do the work. Stay out of the fire. And then they've, they've found this, that you know, if you're really good, you probably know that too. And there's nothing wrong with a little bit of confidence. I mean, let's be honest. You don't want to go to a surgeon, like a heart surgeon. Oh, man, it's, it's service. Uh, you don't want to go to a heart surgeon and they're like, well, I think I could probably do that. Let's just give it a try. You know, we'll just get in there and we'll see. I'll do the best I can. We don't want that. We want somebody who's going to come and say, I got this. I know how to do it. I'm, I'm good at this. I've done this before. That's the kind of person you want. Absolutely. But there's something that sort of crosses the line between confidence and uh, pride, this ego. I just can't be made happy today. Um, all right, there we go. See, and that's why this is magnetic, see? So that way, like, the iPad doesn't slide off. See how I did that? All right, good, good. Um, if you're visiting, we understand. If you don't want to come back next week, I understand. There's other people that do this better. Um, I've got a list of people. Um, you know, just ask me later, and I can tell you, tell you how. This, I'm gonna drop kick something in a second. All right. <clears throat> so, pride. Whew. Got that handled. Um, God and people oppose the proud. Now we, I don't know about you, but. Um, yeah, just, all right, here we go. All right, this is the last time, I promise. All right, now, I don't know how good you think you are at your job, but King Nebuchadnezzar thought he was the best. Uh, really, really good. As a matter of fact, in a lot of these ancient Near East culture uh, kingdoms, they had these ideas that the king was sort of descended from God. So he wasn't just like really good. He was also like God-like. So I don't know what kind of boss you have, uh, how inflated their ego may be about, you know, himself or herself. Uh, but King Nebuchadnezzar had a very healthy self-esteem. And it, it borders beyond being confident. He, he moves into the zone of being proud. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar had some reason to be confident. Uh, his, uh, his army had subdued the Assyrian region. He had put into uh, place a peace that his father, in fact, had started before him. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just a startup. He sort of does inherit quite a bit uh, from his dad, but he does uh, stand on his shoulders and he makes the most of it. Uh, not only that, but he engages in some major building projects in Babylon. Uh, the Euphrates River, was channeled uh, through a number of canals into the capital city. Uh, it watered uh, the palace. It was considered one of the most luxuriously appointed places uh, of that time. The palace gardens, the gardens of Babylon, were of world renown. Uh, and so Nebuchadnezzar had a lot of things that he had done. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And now, most of the bricks taken out of Babylon during this time, uh, this lets you know a little bit about how great Nebuchadnezzar thought he was. Uh, he had a mold made for all of the bricks that had his face on it. So that way, like, as you're building things together, you know whose this is and who it belongs to. It belongs to King Nebuchadnezzar. Make no mistake. So he's got, uh, it's pride. He's moved into the zone of pride. And he boasts, and as he boasts, uh, there's some judgment that comes in his life. But I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that, yes, God opposes the proud, but people do too. 
I mean, think about the people in your office. Who are the people you love to work with? Are the people that are friendly, that are helpful? Uh, I would bet not at the top of your list is that, that proud person who thinks they're better than you, who thinks they do their job better than you, who, who thinks they, you know, they read the book, how to know everything about everything and tell it to everybody. Um, you know, that's not the person. And so we've got to, as I think, if we're going to try to embrace work as worship, adopt a healthy attitude about it, about our work, and about our accomplishments. You know, with great accomplishments can come great ego. Absolutely. This is Nebuchadnezzar's problem. And, and God is part of the reason why Nebuchadnezzar is so successful. If you read through the uh, pro prophetic works in the Old Testament, you'll see that God is saying, listen, I am raising up Nebuchadnezzar. And I'm going to allow him to come and to invade this land so that way you, nation of Israel, see what it's like when my protection has been withdrawn from you. And so Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, has had a lot of interaction with the people of God. He's had a lot of interaction with Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so far in this book, if you've been following with us, you've seen that you know, uh, God's way in terms of how to conduct their lives with integrity has worked really well for Daniel. And I imagine the king has noticed this. Not only that, but uh, we just saw that they had this, this showdown where Nebuchadnezzar wants them to all bow down and worship this, this thing that he's put up. And they say, no, our God will deliver us. And in fact, God does deliver them from that fiery furnace. And so there's a lot of places here where we can look and we can say, man, Nebuchadnezzar had every opportunity to see the power of God at work in his life. Starting with when Daniel was able to tell him what his dream was and what the meaning of it was. And so now we come again to this place where Nebuchadnezzar should have known, hey, there are more players at work in this than just me. You know, maybe it's not just all me. Maybe there is a God who has blessed me with these abilities and maybe even some of these circumstances that has put me in this place. And yet Nebuchadnezzar sort of rejects that. And God gives him a warning. And he sends him this, this vision, this dream of a tree that grows all the way to the heavens and it, its shade casts out over everywhere and people are coming and flocking to this tree and then a divine messenger comes, an angel, and is, it cuts this tree down. And Nebuchadnezzar is troubled by the stream because he thinks, my goodness, there's probably something in here about me. And Daniel again comes and he interprets the dream. And, and here's where we pick up our story here in Daniel chapter 4. It says, uh, he's, this is Daniel talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and wishes to give them and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. You see, here's what's happening is, is God is telling through Daniel that, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom's going to be taken away from you for a while. You're going to go through this, this period of humiliation where you live like a wild animal, where you're eating grass and you're just, the rain's falling on you and nothing's, you know, you're not even going to be recognized. But at some point in time, you will be restored. Now, I know that this sounds like really crazy. 
And if maybe you're sort of new to Christianity, you're new to faith, you might be thinking, like, does this really happen? Like, does this really go down this way? And, and here's what I do know. I, 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 I know that there are actually records within the, the uh, records of, of King Nebuchadnezzar, not just in Scripture, that testified to the fact that there are these breaks, these periods where there's not stuff being recorded. And, and there's even another king recorded by other historians who is said to have gone away and then come back. And so I think that there's actually some pretty good reason for us to believe that this happens the way that Daniel records it as happening. And so this has been recorded for us to, to understand that God opposes the proud, but he embraces the humble. Now, let's take a moment and just think about that in our own lives. Where are we? Are we people of pride? Are we people of humility? We need to embrace this verse here, this warning in Proverbs. It says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, I think some people, you know, imagine like this verse is saying that God's going to like put some sort of divine cosmic banana peel in your life. That as you're kind of going down with your nose in the air, all of a sudden you're going to just wipe out. Uh, Proverbs describes things the way that they just are. And so you can see it. We've all been in those moments where somebody's proud and, and somebody's finally had enough of it and they do something or they say something and they kind of bring them back down to size. That's what Proverbs is saying is that when you go out into the world and you go out into life and you're full of pride and you're better than everybody else, eventually that's going to get caught up with you. It, that's one of the things I've, I've learned is that eventually people are found out for who they really are. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, how do we want to get to this place of humility? Do we want to go through a big fall, or do we just sort of want to embrace it up front? Now, you might be saying, how do I know if I've got a lot of pride? I think that's a great question, because, I mean, we may not be self-aware. Let me give you a couple of things here that, that might help you to discern that. Uh, perhaps this, you always have to be right. You can never be wrong. You can never allow other people to think that they're right, because you know that you're right. If that's the case, you might have some pride in your life you're dealing with. If you regularly gossip about how bad other people are, you might have some pride in your life. If, as you think about your agenda, you just know that it's more important than what anybody else is bringing to the table, you might have some pride. If, in your own faith life, you think, man, God seems to be a little bit distant, but I've got a lot of other things going on in my life, uh, I'll get back to that you know, when I can, uh, that's a sign of pride. If you start to see stress fractures in your marriage, uh, maybe you're accused of being selfish. This might be a sign of pride. If you constantly complain, you might have a problem with pride. If you hate to lose and like really hate to lose, you might have a problem with pride. If you don't have friends, it might be because you've pushed them away with your pride. If you don't have time to empathize with other people, you might have some pride in your life. If you always have to get recognition and you always have to get the credit, you might have some pride. If you're not one who's willing to share that credit with other people on your team, then guess what? You might have some pride. If when you talk with people, the conversations are mostly about you, that's a good sign that you've got some pride. And if that's you and you find yourself going, man, yeah, I've got some pride in my life, then you've got to deal with this. I think that this is coming to you as a warning sign. And, and hear this as just a cautionary tale. Uh, it, it, look at the life of King Nebuchadnezzar and say, listen, there, there's multiple ways to get to humility. And they don't always have to go through humiliation. You see, that's the thing. 
Uh, we live in a time where pride leads to humiliation. People love it. People love to see people fail. I mean, just don't believe me. Just scroll through TikTok or Reels and just see people just wiping out all over. Why do we, why do we watch these videos? We just love to see that happen. Somebody thinks they're all that, and then all of a sudden, boom, they got it knocked out from underneath them. Friends, we don't have to go through humiliation to get to pride. Uh, here's what's happening with uh, Nebuchadnezzar. As the king was walking, he ignores this warning. Uh, he's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. He said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? If you talk like this, by the way, you've got a problem with pride. If you say by my mighty power, if you describe your power as mighty, you've got a real problem. If you talk about the glory of your majesty, you probably need to see somebody because that's, we've now moved into something that's really not a healthy attitude. But anyways, that's how he talks. Uh, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people, and you will live with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like the ox seven times. What's that word mean? It doesn't necessarily mean years. It can mean seasons, uh, seven periods of time. Whatever it is will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. You see, Nebuchadnezzar rejects the warnings. He rejects the warnings of God, and he says, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of better than that. I'm bigger than that. You can't get to me. And so his pride leads to humiliation. But it doesn't have to be that way for us. At the end of the time, we see here, this is how the story finishes. Nebuchadnezzar writes this. I raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one could hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? And at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. Now, again, I know this seems really kind of out there, and I, I understand that this is kind of a big ask for some people who are new to faith. But I, I'll tell you, I think there's, again, a lot of good reasons to believe that this happens. Uh, it's recorded in Scripture, uh, and I, I like to think of this. It's not true because it's in Scripture. Uh, it's in Scripture because it's true. We have archaeological evidence and other writings that talk about some type of event like this happening. But then one last thing I want to give you, just think about this for a second. Uh, how is it that these magi who are Babylonian wise men show up at the birth of Jesus? You know, how, how is it that all these things happen? I think it's because there's this period, this renaissance of faith, of, of faith in God that comes in this, this time period. So Nebuchadnezzar is restored. It seems that at this point in time he gets it. He's willing to acknowledge who God is. And sometimes we have to go through these moments. As a matter of fact, some of you here might be going through a moment of humiliation where something's happened in your life and, you know, it's, it's just, you kind of feel like a fool. You kind of feel like, man, just, you know, people are seeing maybe something in you or a failure in you. Or maybe you're going, man, they're seeing me for who I really am and it's hard for you. I guess I want to encourage you, if you're going through that right now, that you can come back from that that you can build back through that with humility into a place of strength. That's what's going to happen for King Nebuchadnezzar. 
But for the rest of us, maybe who we're not going through that moment, although we all do at certain periods in life, I want us to think about some ways that perhaps we can bypass that and embrace humility without the humiliation. So here we go. First is this, is to just acknowledge the supremacy of God. To just acknowledge that God is God and you are not. That if, if you struggle with pride, that could be a great morning prayer for you. God, you're God, I'm not. I, I got it. Thank you for this today. Uh, just acknowledge the supremacy of God. This was Nebuchadnezzar's big problem. He can't see God. He can only see himself. So this is why if, if you have been in church for a while and you hear things like, man, you should probably pray more. Why? It's because it does this. You should probably read scripture more. Why? Because it, it does this. Those two disciplines, prayer and scripture reading, constantly drive into our minds and hearts the truth that there is a God of the universe, that we are not him, and we give him praise and thanks. People wonder, like, what's the main point of Sunday morning? It's not me, it's worship. It's worship. It's where in worship we acknowledge the supremacy of God. Where else do we gather together to sing songs about something? You know, you used to maybe do that for, for a country. Maybe at a ball game you sing the national anthem. But friends, we do this every week because we acknowledge the supremacy, the holiness, the power of God. So if you want to bypass humiliation, embrace humility, start here. Second is you've got to own your mistakes. I've talked to a lot of different uh, managers and people that, you know, uh, have different businesses and these kinds of things. And, I, you know, in preparation for this, I asked, you know, what about owning mistakes? Because I, I know that I love it when somebody just owns it. And they say, man, that's, that's the only way you can do it. You know, if you struggle and you always have to give an excuse and you always have to blame somebody else, you've probably got a problem with pride. Just owning your mistakes is a huge way to embrace humility. To say, hey, you know what? I, I did that or I didn't do that. It's my fault. I'm going to make it right. That warms the heart of any human being. That warms the heart of any manager. That warms the heart of anybody in a professional atmosphere where you just say, man, I'm going to own my mistakes and I'm going to make it better. I mean, we always get tired, I, at least I do, of hearing people who constantly blame others. I mean, I, I, I've referenced this before. I, I've known people who've been through, you know, 10 jobs in like four months, and it's always somebody else's fault, right? You know, you know these people. Maybe they've been through several, several relationships, but they've always broken up. Why? Because it's the other person's fault. You know, you can't move forward from that. You can only move forward if you take ownership of what you've got. You can't trade in what you don't own. I love that saying. Um, so own your mistakes. Third, value others and their contributions. Uh, now, it's been credited to several presidents, uh, but I love the saying, you can get anything done if you don't care who gets the credit. Uh, I have found that to be true. You can get anything done if you don't care who gets the credit. If you have to get the credit, your, your range of things you can accomplish in life are limited. But if you're saying, man, you know what, I want to do this, and I don't care who gets the credit, uh, then guess what? All of a sudden now, you're going to be able to go a lot more places. Uh, so start by valuing others, their contributions. Uh, share about the contributions they've made. If you lead a team or are on a team, make sure that your team gets as much praise and recognition as you do. Uh, that's so, so, so big. Uh, finally, this one here, be curious and open to learning more. Uh, they're starting to write a lot more about this thing. I think Jeff Bezos uh, started this phrase of intellectual humility. Uh, Inc. Magazine was asking him, Inc. as an I-N-C, not like the Tattoo Inc. Magazine. Um, 
just wanted to clarify that. Um, was interviewing him, and they were talking about like, hey, what are the things you're looking for uh, in life and or in employees? And he said, I want people who are intellectual have intellectual humility because those are the smartest people in the room. He said, if somebody's got it all figured out, if somebody knows everything already, you can't teach them anything. He said, but if there's somebody that comes and they, they can acknowledge some mistakes or they can look at areas where they go, man, I just don't know enough about this right now. Uh, he says, then that tells me that they want to learn, they're hungry to learn, and they're going to learn some more. So this being curious, wanting to learn more, uh, all of this you can't do if you've got pride. Why? Because if you've got pride, then you have to be the expert. If you've got pride, then you can't admit that you've got something you could learn from somebody else. What does that do? It leads to a fall. You know, that's why scripture describes this. It says, man, listen, pride comes before destruction. Because if nobody can tell you anything, if you can't learn anything, if you can't improve, then the only thing you can do, if, you, if you've already reached the top, the only place for you to go is down. But if you start low and you say, you know what, I, I've got some room to grow, the only place for you to go is up. Uh, this morning, the worship team's going to come out. We're going to sing a song of, of, of worship and and I want us to just sort of embrace this moment as a time where we praise God and we say, God, you are God, I am not. We acknowledge our place in the world and we say, God, you have created me. I want us to also recognize the need of humility in every aspect of our life. Humility in your relationships, in your friendships. If you can acknowledge that you've hurt other people and you can say, man, I'm sorry I've hurt you. I want us to move forward. A little bit of humility goes a long way. If you've done that in the workplace, again, owning your mistakes, that's key. And then when it comes to God, I mean, that's step one, right? We talk about this word repentance in Scripture and, and in church. What does that word mean? It means to simply acknowledge that you have sin and that you're sorry about it. That's what repentance is. Repentance is ownership. We're saying, God, I'm going to take ownership.